Hey everyone, welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave. Today's conversation was recorded a couple weeks ago, but first I want to say a few words about racial justice. Now on June 4th, it's been 10 days since the killing of George Floyd, and it's been a really heavy time. There's been a lot of conversations that I've had with with friends, conversations in the Santa Clara community, and really in the international community as well. Um, With all of this coming just a few days before some of my close friends are leaving and the combined effect of graduation and saying goodbyes to a chapter of our lives and then the police killings and protests, there's there's been a lot of thinking and and talking and posting and reading about racial justice and compassion and the stories of, of black people. I've been thinking a lot about my own privilege as a white male and how I can use my voice to further racial justice. I'm not normally the activist type, but I think words and conversations and questions and listening and and action especially all have real power. Uh, Guests on this show have emphasized listening, and I think now is the time to really listen to the experience of Black friends and leaders and activists all across the country. In my own life, I've moved through several stages of emotions. Uh, the first was certainly helplessness, like like the world was imploding and there's nothing I could do, and I was participating in systems of injustice just by going about my life. Through reading social media posts and attending a San Jose Black Lives Matter protests and conversations with friends, I've really felt convicted to become more educated, to become more compassionate, and to be a better ally, to to not be indifferent to racism, but to be actively anti-racist. And I think that's especially for people with a lot of a lot of privilege, especially white white males like myself. Yeah, there's there's so much more that that I can learn and I can do and I don't want to don't want to lose that spark moving forward as the the news cycle uh, changes. I've also been thinking about what role this podcast can play in creating racial justice and building uh, diverse communities and lifting up voices of marginalized people, specifically black people at Santa Clara. And I've had a few past episodes. I've been reflecting on my conversation with Dr. Anthony Hazard, uh, and he shared some great resources that I'm going to turn back to about getting educated about racial justice. But I don't think I've done enough in the past, and I definitely hope that Uh, social justice and racial justice can be a bigger theme on the show moving forward after I graduate, and I'm optimistic that that'll be the case. I want to focus on a couple of Santa Clara statements that have been released. Uh, The first is from the Multicultural Center, so just a paragraph from that. They wrote on May 29th, Black people have watched our community be brutalized and slaughtered on prime television and social media for the past eight years. This is not to mention 400 years of oppression our community has faced. We must recognize the anti-blackness prevalent in every institution and community, including communities of color and this university. Not only does this reopen wounds of trauma, but it reminds us that we are not seen as worthy individuals. This weighs heavy on our hearts and minds, and we ask you to support your black friends and peers during this time. Father O'Brien also recently released a statement and said that, we cannot change what we do not know or understand. This means that we must take responsibility to work through challenging issues, including the systematic causes of injustice and racism. As a university committed to excellence in teaching, learning, and research, we have the tools to understand the legacy of white supremacy. We can reckon with abuses of power that range from excessive use of force by police to voter suppression and to disparities in access to health care. 
At the same time, we can identify paths to transformation of cultures and systems, fueled by the inclusion of voices most impacted by marginalization and violence. When the news cycle moves on, Santa Clara will not. I love that sentence. When the news cycle moves on, Santa Clara will not. And I urge you, friends, uh, to not not move on in a couple weeks when the news cycle uh, may change. And the Santa Clara administration has been meeting with Igwe, the Black Students Association, and a, a petition has gone around that the university is is accepting to work with the Santa Clara Police Department, uh, having conversations about racial justice and equity, and uh, more generally about the treatment of Black students on campus. So uh, hopefully that that action will continue to uh, make waves at the university, and we can become a more uh, anti-racist, inclusive, welcoming university for people of color, and specifically Black students. Father O'Brien's email also shared Michelle Obama's recent words, If we ever hope to move past racism, it can't just be on people of color to deal with it. It's up to all of us, Black, white, everyone, no matter how well-meaning we might think we are, to do the honest, uncomfortable work of rooting it out. In this conversation, our guest Aaron Ronald will discuss incorporating sustainability into any field, any career, any family or community or walk of life. And I think there's a lot of parallels with racial justice as well, that wherever we find ourselves in the families and communities and workplaces that we occupy and we will occupy, uh, the people we are, the people we become, the values we hold, those will manifest themselves. And so um, regardless of the, of the type of work you're doing, you can be an ally, you can be anti-racist, and you can be an advocate for racial justice, and you can uplift the voices of, of marginalized people, and specifically right now of, of black people. So I think that's that's some encouragement. I think there's hope. I've been really encouraged just by how many friends I know who maybe didn't participate at all when, when previous tragedies happened in the past eight years and now are, are stepping up to learn and, and get educated and hopefully this will persist. Um, and when the news cycle moves on, I hope that you and I and Santa Clara will not. Today's conversation is all about sustainability, and so before introducing today's guest, I want to mention a few ways that environmental and racial justice are connected. The Santa Clara Environmental Justice and the Common Good Initiative has a few resources to help us learn about contributions that African American communities have made to the environmental and climate justice movements. Santa Clara's Environmental Justice and the Common Good Initiative has some resources that help connect racial and environmental justice. First is to learn about major contributions that African American communities have made to the environmental movement and to the climate movement in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, the second is to support racial justice organizing by donating to national organizations led by people of color that support local organizing, such as Movement for Black Lives, or local racial justice organizations led by people of color in your community. And the third is to participate and support racial justice organizing and respect leadership by people of color in communities such as Black Lives Matter, Say Her Name, and the Movement for Black Lives. White allies can join organizations like Showing Up for Racial Justice, which has many local chapters that hold themselves accountable to black leaders for turning out support to end white silence on racial injustice. I'll include a couple links in the podcast description and on the website for more resources and ways that environmental and racial justice are connected, as well as links to the Center for Sustainability's website. Moving on to today's guest, Aaron Ronald is a 2019 Santa Clara graduate in environmental studies and sociology. 
Aaron was recently awarded a Fulbright Fellowship to work with uh, the European version of the World Wildlife Fund to bring best practices back to the U.S. to help cities set workable climate action policy. Since graduating last year, she's been working as one of 90 Civic Spark Fellows in Truckee near South Lake Tahoe, where she spent her summers as a child, and she's helping Truckee develop its own climate action and adaptation plans. Erin was super involved at Santa Clara. She was a Global Social Benefit Fellow, which is the program I did last year uh, through the Miller Center for Social Entrepreneurship. She helped run Santa Clara's Oxfam Club, was on the Food Recovery Network leadership team, and participated in the Sustainable Living Undergraduate Research Project, working on the university's EcoTray program. In this conversation, we discuss Erin's passion for helping cities mitigate and adapt to climate change, the day-to-day work of her Civic Spark Fellowship, how COVID-19 is impacting city climate change plans, Erin's Fulbright Award, and how students can incorporate sustainability into their careers. So wherever you are, I'm wishing uh, hope and peace and motivation and love and compassion and listening and all of that. And with that, enjoy the conversation. So to start out, can you talk a little bit about your process for discovering your uh, career mission and about why uh, cities and and climate change are so important to you? Yeah, absolutely. It starts for me growing up in Seattle, in the outdoors. I spent most weekends in the North Cascades up north of Seattle, and I always had a passion for the environment. I come from (laughs) a long line of environmentalists, so I always knew the environment was important to me. And I think um, going to Santa Clara and majoring in environmental studies, you know, I started taking these classes and was able to narrow my focus onto climate change specifically. Um, And then from there, mitigation. So how we can actually slow down the speed of climate change. But I got really interested in cities when I studied abroad in Copenhagen, Denmark, um, which is, I'm sure you've heard one of the like happiest cities in the world. And, um, they're doing a lot of really incredible things for the environment. And um, when I was there, I totally became an urbanist and became fascinated by the connection between human well-being and happiness and sustainability and how cities really control all of that. Um, and I learned like 70% of our carbon emissions come from cities, mm-hmm. which is absolutely crazy. And during this time where we have kind of a international um, stalemate on climate policy. You know, we're not getting a ton of action at the global level and definitely not at the federal level. So in that way, cities are really uniquely positioned to take action um, because they have their own jurisdiction and their own control. So they can make a lot of things happen even when um, on the national scale, we're not doing that much. You know, you've seen cities commit to the um, Paris Climate Agreement um, and really drive climate action. Um, so for me, I saw that as an area where we can make, um, some of the biggest change Mm -hmm. and yeah, I wanted to see how I could help cities continue to push, push that agenda. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. You mentioned how cities and climate change impact happiness and community and all those things. Like, do you have any examples of things that you've, you've learned or that have been interesting or that you have witnessed in cities you've traveled to? Yeah, absolutely. So it's so cool. Like 
it, they go together so perfectly. You know, if you bike to work, you're going to be so much healthier. You're going to be much more productive and, you know, just being outdoors in that way also makes you happier. So by when cities, you know, invest in pedestrian infrastructure and bike infrastructure, that gives people those opportunities. Putting in green space in cities um, is able to do a lot of carbon sequestration, but at the same time, humans love green space and that naturally brings us happiness. Um, the whole idea of minimalism and living in smaller spaces, being able to get to work in five minutes, um, that idea of a really dense multi-use city, um, and even eating like plant-based that has carbon impacts and it's, and it's healthy for us. So there are so many awesome connections and, um, sustainability and, um, mindfulness and consumption. They really all go together, which is super cool. Mm, yeah. And when thinking about how like city policy relates to, to national policy, like, is it possible for cities to take climate change action, even when there's not like a national imperative to do so, or kind of like how do different cities think about that? Yeah, totally. That's a great question. Um, well, I think a great example is, is California. Um, the state is obviously playing a huge role in pushing cities to take action. You know, we have so many assembly bills and Senate bills that are setting really high targets for cities and mandating um, certain reductions in carbon emissions and in waste. Um, and that's super powerful. But yeah, even in cities where the state isn't pushing them, they are still able to control, you know, like the planning of their cities, the education that they um, promote to residents. Um, they are basically in control of how their city can develop. So for a lot of things, you do need the state, especially for greening your energy supply. But for example, the town of Truckee, where I'm working right now, their PUD, it's so incredible. They they don't, um, the town doesn't subscribe to a larger provider like PG&E. They have their publicly owned utility, but they're purchasing power from a lot of, from several solar projects in Utah. So in two years, they're going to be like 75% renewable energy, which is incredible. And obviously cities are at a smaller scale, but when you have those partnerships and cities collaborate, um, that ends up creating a significant impact. But on the federal scale, <laughs> we do need that broader guidance to um, push cities all together um, and make those larger mandates. But um, cities definitely do have some power um, at the smaller scale. Mm. Yeah, awesome. And you mentioned your current work with the city of Truckee. C could you maybe touch a little more on kind of the, the later part of your college experience and how you ended up determining like what first step you wanted to take with your career? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I actually applied for a Fulbright fellowship the end of my junior year. So I would start um, after I graduated and that project was specifically on um, climate mitigation and climate action planning in cities. So like I was saying, like that, that climate action planning is how cities set a goal and um, set their carbon reduction targets and then you know, make a plan to actually make that happen. So that's what I was really interested in. And I found out I didn't get it, but I was still incredibly passionate about figuring out how cities are making um, progress. So I applied for this fellowship called Civic Spark. It's super cool. I highly recommend to anyone who's interested in public service in California. It's technically an AmeriCorps program, but it's run by a nonprofit 
So there's 90 of us all across California working with local governments to help them uh, with climate change. So some people are doing more adaptation stuff. So that's how we um, prepare for the impacts of climate change. Some people are doing things more water-focused, some are a bit more equity. But I was placed with Truckee up in Tahoe. Um, So for me, I'm doing climate action planning and then a lot of um, waste reduction stuff. And it's just been absolutely incredible. And I've been doing a lot of the engagement side of climate action planning. So talking to residents, helping facilitate workshops, really getting their vision for what they want Truckee to look like by 2040 and turning their input uh, into actual climate policies. So it's been an incredible learning experience, especially with Truckee since their process is so community driven. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. What, what does like a typical day or week look like, or maybe before the pandemic, right? (laughs) But like what, what types of activities are you spending your time doing? Cause I, I feel like it's, like there's there's a lot of careers or programs where you might mm-hmm. like hear the job title, but then you're not really sure like what does that actually mean like you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, yeah, it's super fair. I think in general, probably like 20% of my time is stuff for the fellowship. So they provide a lot of professional development opportunities, networking, education. Um, we have different groups that touch on relevant issues and policies happening in California, which is great. Recently, I mean, I've just been super wrapped up in our climate action plan. So we've gone through the community engagement part and getting feedback and getting residents input. And now we have synthesized that input. We're working with a couple of different consultants. And so we've had a lot of back and forth on shaping those policies and organizing them. And (laughs) now we're actually putting them into the plan. So we're condensing them, making sure they're clear. Um, so I've been doing a lot of, I guess you would call it policy writing and writing for the climate action plan. So, you know, giving background to the topic, introducing what this plan, plan means for Truckee, um, a lot of research on solutions that other cities are implementing and Kind of, kind of already looking ahead to the implement, implementation stages. So we have this incredible plan that says we're going to do all these awesome things. Now, how are we actually going to do it? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's part of my time. And then the other part of my time is with the solid waste and recycling department, Keep Turkey Green. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of engagement as well, honestly, educating people uh, about composting and reducing waste. And um, before COVID hit, we were working on passing a single use foodware reduction ordinance. So um, we were planning to work on work with businesses on reducing the amount of um, single use cups and plates and utensils that they use, which is currently on pause, <laughs> but hopefully we'll be able to pick that up at some point soon. So um, mm-hmm. a good amount of office work, but a lot of the times um, we're actually able to get out into the community and talk with residents and um, help educate them about what's happening. Yeah, cool. And have, yeah. has any of either your work or even just the the conversations you've had with coworkers and friends and mentors in the program like changed because of the pandemic? Oh yeah, I think yeah. Every everything everything's changed. I would say waste particularly has has changed a lot um, because obviously now we're all shifting to disposables because human health comes first. So. It's been interesting trying to engage residents on 
waste reduction when everyone is staying home and we're consuming a lot more. Um, I think we, we've recently been focusing on, you know, reuse and repair instead of just bringing your, your own containers to, to restaurants. And actually our, our climate action planning process has changed a lot too, because now we have, we, we honestly have a real world example of, uh, of a crisis. And so hmm. we're also working on our adaptation plan, which is how we prepare for climate change. So um, we are integrating all of this COVID stuff into how we plan for future disasters because, um, you know, we're, we're going to have more pandemics and we're going to have an increased spread of disease with climate change. So now we have all of these emergency preparedness programs and food distribution systems. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to figure out ways to document that and apply that to the disasters that could come from climate. So that's been incredibly interesting. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And while we're on the topic of the pandemic, are there any other uh, you, like links between climate change and the pandemic that you've been thinking about or maybe opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we know that folks who have respiratory issues are more susceptible to to getting COVID. And a lot of those respiratory issues come from air pollution. And the majority of air pollution in the U.S. is found in low-income minority communities. So we're seeing much higher rates of COVID in those communities. And I think this is definitely a call to action to um, reduce pollution in general, especially uh, in these marginalized communities where the pollution is highest. Um, but it's this really interesting place because, you know, we are producing less right now. Um, and, you know, people keep talking about those guys clearing up and um, all these great things that are happening. But at the same time, uh, I think a lot of cities are worried that they won't, because the economy is struggling, that they won't have funding to do all of these sustainability projects and plans that they um, were gunning at full force before this all happened. So I think a big focus is going to be rebuilding but with sustainability in mind so like a lot of cities are shutting down roadways so people can get out and exercise like as we recover maybe we should keep some of those you know and keep them to be car-free areas um stuff like that so it's it's really it's a really interesting time for this work honestly Hmm. yeah that's interesting i think i recently Mm -hmm. read an article about how one potential uh, part of a reopening plan could be that, you know, like a restaurant's allowed to open in a street or a parking lot. And that Mm -hmm. would mean fewer cars, right? Which is also a a good thing, right? Just Mm -hmm. for for space reasons. But it's it's fascinating to think about all the connections and opportunities. And and hopefully those climate change goals can be prioritized, even if, if funding is a little tight. Yeah, I'd love to turn to some some recent exciting news. So you mentioned not getting the Fulbright Award after for right after you graduate, right? But I recently saw and Santa Clara was publicizing that you are going to be able to do a, a Fulbright uh, soon. So you want to maybe talk a little about that? Yeah, thanks, Gavin. Um, yeah, so I applied that first time around and I was still super passionate about the project. So I applied again last fall and ended up getting it, which was super crazy and exciting. But the idea for the project stemmed from when I was abroad in Copenhagen. Uh, Scandinavia is definitely the leader on climate action globally, um, especially Sweden. So I will be working for um, 
Do you know WWF, the nonprofit? I yeah. think I've heard of it, yeah. The one with the panda, the okay. panda logo. What does that stand for? <laughs> well, in the U.S., it's the World Wildlife Fund, but globally, it's the Worldwide Fund for Nature. Um, mm-hmm. they're, yeah, they're all across the world, but they have a ton of different programs, and one specifically is called the One Planet City Challenge, which is a challenge that happens every two years, and they encourage cities around the world to commit to ambitious climate goals. So they're trying to help cities say, hey, we're going to you know, go carbon neutral by 2040, by 2050. And then they have the cities report their carbon emissions and create climate action plans like what I'm working on and implementation guides. So how are they actually going to reach this goal? And it's a global competition to see which plan is the most ambitious, the most feasible, um, and they're all reviewed by this panel at the UN, which is super exciting. I'll be working in Sweden with three different Swedish cities that have participated in the challenge and working with them to, to figure out like what are the best engagement methods for, for citizens and how can citizens engage in these plans, um, while at the same time evaluating this challenge and seeing how effective it's been. Like, how can we create these plans, not just for people, but with people? And how can the One Planet City Challenge do that? Um, and all of this has, you know, ramifications for how we how we um, plan for climate change in the U.S. So ideally, I would love to, you know, start to figure out some of these best practices for climate action planning and then come back to the U.S. and help U.S. cities do the same. So... I'm I'm super excited. We were supposed to leave in September, but obviously <laughs> things have been pushed back a bit. So the current plan is to leave in January. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, congrats. And that sounds like a super cool project that really does a great job incorporating some of, of your interests and has an opportunity to make a really cool impact. Um, yeah, just a couple a couple more questions here. So it's it's super cool that you've found all these opportunities to integrate your passion for sustainability into like a career, right? So what advice would you give to a student, you know, maybe someone's a sophomore and they know they are passionate about sustainability, but they're kind of worried that they won't be able to incorporate it into a career, just don't really know how to like think about that. Like what, what advice would you give to students? Yeah, it takes um, zooming out a bit and, and taking a step back because climate change is going to affect every single industry, you know, we're all, we're all going to be impacted by it, no matter if you're working for a financial institution or um, social services or a business, there, there are going to be ramifications for everyone. And so I think that's a really interesting thing to reflect on, like how is climate change going to impact the industry that you'll be going into? You know, we're already seeing the impacts and we will continue as we pursue our careers. And I, and there is being action taking in all of these fields uh, at high levels. So I think a really cool thing would be to check out some of the leaders um, in that industry and see what they're doing to prepare for climate change and thinking about that and um, start integrating that into your work and and just talking about it and engaging your peers and your coworkers. um, Because I don't think there's enough dialogue about how, you know, climate change is going to impact our financial investments and how, There'll be an um, an increase in people needing, you know, mental health services for dealing with the effects of climate change. But uh, also, I mean, 
we can also take a lot of action in our personal lives and by contacting our representatives and telling them what's important to us and uh, voting, definitely voting and electing the people that we want to see in office and um, who will take a stance on these issues. But yeah, it's the cool thing about sustainability is it's relevant to every field. Yeah, you have environmental sustainability, social sustainability, uh, economic sustainability. So I think there are definitely opportunities for everyone to incorporate it into what they're doing. Yeah, awesome. And then the last question I like to ask people, which uh, you can you can interpret this in, in any way you want, given the pandemic, <laughs> but what, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you? <laughs> That's an awesome question. I think having a big yummy breakfast and going out for a really long hike, an all-day hike, preferably to an alpine lake, and then coming back home, maybe heading to the beach. Oh no, going to a farmer's market first, getting some yummy snacks, then going to the beach, maybe watching a sunset, and then having a really delicious home-cooked dinner. (laughs) Awesome. That sounds like an awesome Saturday. Well, thanks, Erin, for participating. I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify so that you don't miss an episode. Check out the website at voicesofsantaclara.com for some shortened transcripts and you can like the Facebook page and follow on Twitter. I'll see you next time.